Hi, my name's Mark Kelly. I'm one of the leaders here at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. We hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. For more information about us, please visit citychurchleeds.net or find us on all the usual social media websites. Take care and enjoy what's coming up. Uh, Mark said he wanted me to share from Luke, and um, I'm really happy to do that because the Gospel of Luke, like all the other Gospels, talks about Jesus. And uh, there's no better time that we can spend this morning than talking about Jesus, who he is, what he's accomplished, what he's doing in our hearts and in our lives. And um, Mark has restricted me to the first few chapters of Luke, (laughs) which is very generous because I can't possibly get through the first five chapters of Luke. But what I'm going to do is to dip into chapters 3 and 4 to use as a seedbed for what I want to share with you today. And um, turn with me first to Luke chapter 3, please. Verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. You have this staggering, Trinitarian expression taking place at the banks of the Jordan River, where Jesus Christ comes to be baptized by John. And in the process, after being baptized, he stands in the water praying. And in that context of praying and intimacy with his Father, the Father pours forth the Spirit upon him, and the Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove, and heavens are broken open, and a voice is spoken from heaven that everybody can hear, this is my son, my beloved son, the son that I love. With him I am well pleased. And this is the initiation of Jesus' ministry. You understand that Jesus existed before he was born. He is the eternal one. And amazingly, he becomes born of Mary, but eternally, he's been the Son. There is the eternal Father that has an eternal Son, and their fellowship is outworked in the fellowship of the eternal Holy Spirit. 
And this eternal Son becomes born, and at his baptism, the Father declares his identity. And this Son has existed for all eternity past with the Father in the heavenly realms in an environment of heaven that in coming to earth, his design is now to bring heaven's culture into earth through his life. And what he has lived in for eternity past, he now brings into earth, and earth is experiencing heaven in a dimension that it's never experienced before, but this has always been the intention for earth, that heaven becomes the environment in which people on earth are to live their lives. Heaven is broken open, the Spirit comes down, the Father speaks, and Jesus demonstrates a quality of life that has never, ever been seen on the earth before. And he brings heaven's environment, which I would like to suggest to you is an environment of freedom, because wherever the Spirit is, there is liberty. And when you take a glimpse into heaven like John does, he sees before the throne of God seven burning lamps, which are the seven spirits of God, seven being the number of completion and perfection. And in heaven, the spirit is completely at liberty, and perfect liberty is the realm of heaven. And Jesus comes, and the spirit descends on him in bodily form, and the liberty and the freedom that exists in heaven now becomes his liberty as a son of God on earth, in liberty in a human form like has never been seen before. And he brokers this realm of heaven into the earth. What is so fabulous about this baptism is that the Father expresses his love to the Son and Jesus has yet to practice and do any miracle. He hasn't done anything. And the Father goes, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And our task-oriented culture goes, why does he love him? He hasn't done anything. Because heaven's environment is one of perfect love too and it's not about performance it's about intimacy and the son having been eternally connected to the father and eternally delighted in the father's love although he's now living on earth the fellowship with the father is completely unbroken so that heaven's environment comes to earth and the father is delighted simply because his fellowship is unbroken and the son is delighting in the father's love responding to his love and the father is so delighted at the obedience of the son to be baptized even though there was no sin to be repented of he did it for righteousness sake that the father is so delighted in his obedience that he just showers him with some more love but he hasn't even started his ministry yet and he is so bathed in love and of course he gets bathed in words of affirmation 
You're my son. I love you. With you, I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit is poured out on him that empowers him for what he's about to do. And this Son of God becomes the template for every other Son of God. His initiation into ministry becomes the doorway through which every one of us is to live our lives and to represent heaven into earth. He is our ultimate example in everything, including the way that he receives the Father's love, receives the words of affirmation, receives the empowerment of the Spirit. This is the norm for every son of God, man and woman. If what Jesus did, he did because he was God, we could all applaud and go, that's wonderful, and it would have no implication on our lives. But he did what he did, having emptied himself of his glory. What he did, he did as a man under the power and leadership of the Spirit, not as God. Because if he did it as God... He can be admired, but he can't be copied. If he did it as a man, under the anointing and empowerment of the Spirit, not only can, be, can he be applauded, but he becomes our chief example. And this is why this passage is just so exciting and filled with possibilities for us because he becomes the first fruits and the forerunners of a whole new kind of humanity that is to break into the earth that carries heaven's realm and brokers heaven's environment into the world around. This is our calling to be like him. And even though he's on earth and his father's in heaven, the intimacy and the shared life is undiminished compared to what he had in eternity past. There's no separation. He's just bathed in the Father's love. He's bathed in the words of affirmation. He's bathed in the realm of the Spirit. There is no separation between earth and heaven. I'd like to suggest this to you. Heaven was broken open at this time, and it's never been closed. So that we can access heaven's realms, heaven's realms can access earth. And just to prove it, when he died, that veil of the temple was torn too, just to substantiate the fact that the gap between God and man has now been dealt with once and for all with Jesus Christ. And even though the religious people tried to stitch up that temple curtain, God was already out. It's too late. Of course, man can't stitch up heaven. Heaven has remained open. But there is no veil any longer because we now have, a ha have access to the most holy place.
All right, let's just read on a little bit more in chapter 4. Verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Notice that he was led by the Spirit. He lived his life as a man led by the Spirit. After he ascended and he received the glory that he once had before the foundation of the earth, he was able to send the Spirit. But he had laid aside his glory, and he's not sending the Spirit at this point. He's being led by the Spirit because he's emptied himself, becoming a man, and is demonstrating what it is like to be a man, anointed by, filled by, and led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Let's just stop there a moment. The words that were ringing in his ears following his baptism was, you are my son. The first words the enemy say to him is, if you are the son. The enemy never changes in terms of his approach and his tactics. God always speaks truth. What we have here, right at this moment, as Jesus is led into the wilderness, is the clash of ultimate cultures. It's the clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The cultural characteristic of the kingdom of light is love. The characteristic of the kingdom of darkness is fear. And right here, we have this clash between fear and love. I have come to realize, it's taken me decades to discover this. I'm telling you this for free. But the bottom line, ultimate clash in our society is the clash between love and fear. It's between the two kingdoms. What motivates us? Is it love or fear? What is the thing that shapes our life? Is it love or fear? And love is always from God, and fear is never from God. It's as black and white as that. And love is the only environment in which truth can prosper. Truth cannot prosper in an environment of fear. The environment of fear incubates lies. If you're fearful, you don't have the capacity to express truth. Hey, how many of us have said, I am going to tell him exactly what I think. Especially if it's somebody in authority. I'm going to knock on my boss's door, and I am going to tell him exactly what I think. And you knock on your boss's door, 
and you hear this deep voice saying, come in. And you open the door, and because his desk is so grand and his suit is so sharp, you just get overcome by fear. And what you were going to communicate comes out with a squeak. And instead of telling him the truth, you just, uh, it's very nice to see you. Thank you very much. Because truth cannot prosper in an environment of fear. Only love can communicate truth. So here's the clash of kingdoms taking place in the wilderness between the kingdom of love and the kingdom of fear, between the truth that the Heavenly Father says and the insinuations of lies because the enemy, according to Jesus, is the father of lies and he's been a liar from the beginning. And so he insinuates and and wants to sow a negative seed saying, if you are the Son of God. It's no different to what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. Sow seeds that create doubt. Did God really say? And he does the same today because he's an inveterate liar. He can't change his way. He sows seeds of doubt, seeds of fear, seeds of double thinking in our hearts and in our lives. And we have to learn not to respond like Jesus didn't respond to the malevolent machinations of an enemy that wants us absolutely destroyed. He doesn't want us hurt, he wants us wiped out. One of the ways he does it is to sow these seeds that if we believe him, we empower the realm that he lives in. And Jesus says none of it. And if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus said to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew continues the quote, But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And for Jesus, he'd heard his father say, You're my son in whom... I am well pleased. He didn't fall for this nonsense of if. So then the enemy tries another tack. I haven't got time to go into all of this, but look how subtle and snake-like he is. Verse 9, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil knows the Bible and can quote it. And he'll come to you with what appears to be truth. But because it comes out of his mouth, he's not to be heard. Do you understand? He's not to be heard. Even though he may speak scripture, 
Just because he speaks scripture doesn't mean to say that if it comes out of his mouth that we obey that scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The enemy wants to read Scripture to you. The enemy wants to quote Scripture to you, but it's invalid. He's worthy of being ignored because it doesn't come out of the mouth of God. And Jesus does not in any way acknowledge what he's saying, but responds by Scripture. Verse 12, Jesus says, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus quotes the three temptations that are recorded. Jesus quotes passages of Scripture from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. Which seems to indicate that he'd been there reading it. And having read it, because he was under the anointing of the Spirit and the Spirit had come upon him, the Spirit quickened those scriptures to speak back to the devil so that even though the devil speaks scripture to you that is not inspired by the Holy Spirit, you can speak scripture to him that is inspired by the Holy Spirit and silences and shuts his mouth. But it requires the Holy Spirit. It's not about intellectual reading. It's not about reading this like any other book. It is reading it. It is meditating on it. But it's then allowing the Spirit to apply it to your heart, to bathe it to your life, in order that when the Spirit says, I want you to quote that, you can quote it. And it's what the Spirit says that gives life. Whereas it's what the enemy says that produces death, even though he quotes the Bible, he speaks death. That's why just quoting the Bible isn't good enough. It requires the cooperation of the Spirit. It requires the presence of the Holy Spirit to, first of all, apply the Word to ourselves and then to quicken us to speak that Word because when we speak it, we're cooperating with God. And if He speaks life, then we're to speak life. And Jesus says, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. And, and, and this is our incredible calling, to speak words of life. And see, I don't know what to say. I don't have it all planned out, but what I do want is to be responsive to the Spirit. I do want to hear what the Spirit is saying, and I want to be led by the Spirit. It's okay, Mark is seeing that dear lady. It's okay. Mark is seeing her. And following this interaction with the enemy, In verse 14, 
It says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. Here's the amazing thing, that Jesus has this encounter with the devil, and even though he encounters the devil, nothing of the power of God is lost in his life. You know, somebody says, oh, I've had a struggle with the devil for a few days. Jesus has a struggle with the devil for 40 days, and he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the way to encounter the enemy, not in any way to become deflated, but to become energized again by the empowering of the Spirit so that even after the encounter with the enemy, you come out in the fullness of the power of the Spirit. This is how God wants us to live. Full of the Spirit. And then from there, can I just say, can you please take that lady outside? Mark, can you take that lady outside, please? Thank you. I think it's really important that we care for the one, but what we can't do is allow the one to affect the all. And it's important that she is spoken to and helped, but it's important that the whole of us are blessed and hear what the Lord is saying. That's great. So let's pick it up in verse 16. After his encounter with the enemy, after his coming through in the power of the Spirit, verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The freedom that he was experiencing by receiving the Spirit which was the freedom that he'd experienced for eternity past with the Father, was not something that he would keep to himself. But in the power of the Spirit, he stands in the synagogue in Nazareth and says, this is good news. This freedom, this liberty, this life in the Spirit that I have isn't just for me, but it's for all you too, and it's time for the oppressed to go free. It's time for the captives to be set free, the, those that have been bound to be set free. It's the year of the Lord's favor. It's the time of jubilee. It's a time of release, and this becomes Jesus's ministry, and that everywhere he goes, he sets free free people who have been bound by the work of the enemy because of the anointing of the Spirit, because of his 
security in his identity of who he is as a son and being shaped by words of affirmation from his father he begins to release this realm of freedom to the people around him and he goes around to places that have been in darkness and people that have lived in chains and in bondage and the superior kingdom destroys the inferior kingdom and releases people into their fullness in God. Now remember, Jesus did this as a man under the power of the Spirit. And Jesus' ministry and mission becomes our ministry and mission. It is completely legitimate for us to quote from Isaiah 61 and say, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Lord has anointed me to release the captives, to give sight to the blind, to release those that are imprisoned, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The anointing that's on Jesus, the anointed one, because he pours the Spirit on us, we become Christians, little Christs, who carry the anointing that he had into the world, that what he started, we continue. Because Luke and Acts is one book, really, put together. I know it's the same author, and, and Luke talks about the, what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, and then he opens the account of Acts and says, in my first book, Theophilus, I spoke about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Notice the doing came before the teaching what he began to do and teach until the day that he got taken up to heaven. What Luke is saying is, my gospel of Luke was just the beginning. It's what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts is about what he continues to do and teach. He may be in heaven, but he's poured out his spirit on his disciples, and his disciples continue to do what he did. And, and this is our calling. I'm, I'm no longer constrained by the mentality of mere humanity. I am human, but actually I'm a spirit being having a human experience. Not just a human being having a spiritual experience, you understand? Because the true me is a spirit being. I am joined to the Lord and one spirit with him. I am no longer in Adam. I am now in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I've received his spirit. And I'm a new kind of humanity, just like Jesus was a new kind of humanity that does new kind of humanity things that only the Christ life can do by the empowerment of the spirit. This is our incredible calling. It's not to be merely human. That's why Paul, when he addresses the Corinthians, and I know I'm ways beyond Luke, excuse me, but when, when Paul addresses the Corinthians, he's saying, you're acting like mere men. You're acting like humans. And we're no longer in Adam. 
we're now in Christ. Receiving the Father's love. Affirmed by the Father's word. Empowered by the Spirit that's poured from the Father on high. This is our calling. This, this is the new reality that God has called us to live in. That's why we can't afford just to applaud the Lord. And that's why the word says that came today, you're a breadbasket. You give them something to eat. So when Peter and John roll up at the temple, we go silver and gold we don't have. But what we do have, we give to you. Out of the bread basket of what they've received, they begin to minister to this guy and he stands up on his feet and he begins to walk. And it's out of the riches that they have as a new humanity, a new creation, the Christ community, that the life of Jesus is demonstrated to them. We really are walking temples, carriers of God, carriers of His presence, carriers of His anointing. And, and the more I become aware of it, the more I'm able to leak, the more I'm able to communicate what is what it is that I'm carrying it, who, who it is that I'm carrying, and allow that to, to affect the environment around me. And I'm still learning. We're still learning. It's not like we've got it all together. We, yeah, we're works in progress. But the operative word is progress, you understand? And we're learning to communicate the inner realm that we're carrying that changes the environment around us. Wow, wow. So this is our calling. It's not simply tolerating the darkness, it's allowing the superior kingdom on the inside to invade the darkness with light so that it changes the environment and changes the atmosphere. And Jesus walks in and he carries the Spirit of God with him, and it changes the environment. And it's the same for us that we are carrying the Spirit of God, the anointing of God, and it changes the environment around us. I want to land this. Let's turn to the back of the book. I know it's out of the first five chapters, but I've got preacher's license to do this. Turn to the back of the book to Luke 24. Verse 49. Jesus says, Behold, right at the end of his ministry, he's resurrected. He, he's announced to his disciples that uh, he's going back to his father. And then he says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Just as in the same way that 
Jesus stood in the Jordan and he waited in prayer for what the Lord, his Father, wanted to give him. So he instructs his disciples, although you've been with me for three and a half years, although I've poured everything into you, what you now require is to receive the Spirit in the same way that I receive the Spirit, that you're not operating on my anointing that I give you, but you get your own anointing from the Holy Spirit and don't even think about leaving Jerusalem until you get it. You might have a whole load of experience being with me, hearing my words, but even that is not enough. What is required is for you to wait. It's for you to position yourselves because I'm setting you up for an encounter. And God wants to encounter us. You say, well, Ian, I've, I've been baptized in the Spirit. Praise God. But that doesn't mean that the encounter comes to an end. You look at Acts, they get filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 4, they get filled with the Spirit all over again. And they when, when, when Paul addressed Elymas, the sorcerer, it says, Paul, filled with the Spirit. The indication is there, freshly filled with the Spirit. It's like that morning. He was filled with the Spirit so that because of the Spirit's power, he was able to address the darkness in Elymas through the fresh filling. And our danger is that we become reliant on what we know instead of who we should be reliant upon. And what we know becomes an impediment for what we need to know unless we remain humble and dependent. And for Jesus saying to the disciples, Although they knew so much because he taught them so much, they required a dependency on the Spirit to be led by the Spirit, just like he was dependent on the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Jesus the Son becomes the template for every other son. To live in the Father's love, to be shaped by the Father's word, to be anointed by the Father's Spirit. And in the clash of the kingdoms, the enemy wants the lives of the sons to be polluted by fear. If he can so convince them. And in the conflict of the kingdoms, the enemy wants to sow lies that undermine the truth. I'm a son and I'm loved not because of what I do but because of who he says I am I'm secure in him for who I am not for what I do and what I do comes out of who I am
And this kingdom is a back-to-front kingdom to the world because everything in society values us based on what we do. You meet somebody, and after finding out their name, one of the first questions is, what do you do? Because people are valued based on what they do, and in God's kingdom, we are valued for who we are. And so, I know what she has done, but I come to dear Kate, and I don't say, what do you do? What I do by the Spirit is see a royal daughter. I see one who is valuable because she's been purchased by blood. The value on her life is not what she's done. The value on her life is what's been paid for her. Something is worth something extraordinary because of the price that is paid. And what has been paid for this precious one is the blood of the Son that's on her life. So I come to a royal one. And we, we treat one another with this sense of royal ones who are of inestimable value because the blood of the Son is on our lives. Paul says, I don't want to know any man after the flesh. I don't want to know what your qualifications or non-qualifications are. They're irrelevant. I don't want to know what school you went to or what kind of background you have. I want to know, have you received Christ and have you received the Spirit? Are the words of the Father echoing in your heart and are you bathed in His love? This is the way Jesus lived. What he lived in, he just wanted it to pour out to others. So he could say to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What I have, I just let it pour out. In the prayer in John 17, he says, Father, the words you gave to me, I gave to them. I've simply given it away. I've just simply stewarded what you've given me. What, what you are to me, who you are to me, what you've given me, I just give it away. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and, and when he shows up in the upper room, he goes, receive the Holy Spirit. I just want to give away. just want to impart. I just want you to have it. It's not about me looking good. I want you to come into the fullness. That's why he says, wait in Jerusalem, because now that I'm going to get the glory back, I'm able to send the Spirit. I'm no longer a man that's subject to the leading of the Spirit. I'm going to return to glory at the right hand of the Father, and I'm able to send the Spirit to you. Wait until you receive him. This is our calling to give away what he gives us. That's why it's so important we're shaped by the Father's love because there's a bunch of people out there, sometimes a bunch of people in here that aren't secure in his love. And God wants us to give it away. Where our identity 
is shaped by his words, not what other people say. And that we are demolishing false identities by giving words of affirmation to people that we meet. Impartations of the Spirit. Can I pray for you? Can I just put my hand on you? Can I just impart to you what I have? I just want to bless you. I just want you to feel loved. This realm of freedom is our incredible call. This is my premise to you today. The Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men might become sons of God. All of us were born sons of men. But our destiny, because he came from there, son of God to son of man, he empowers every son of man that believes in him to walk this earth like a son of God. That's why we've got a bread basket. That's why we've got good things to say. That's why we've got good things to give to others. That's why the enemy sees us as dangerous. That's why he wants to pollute our atmosphere with fear. That's why he wants to distort our inner world with lies. That's why he wants his words of death to color our lives instead of the words of life because if he just simply did nothing and let us loose, it will be curtains for his kingdom. The great thing about it is there's bunches of people all over the place that are realizing he's already defeated. There's nothing he can do. If we will live in the Father's love, if we will live in words of the affirmation of what our Father says about us, and if we will live in the anointing of the Spirit, then the enemy is powerless to do and resist the purposes of God in us and through us into this world. So this is the incredible calling that God has on our lives, that we as sons of men, by the empowerment that comes through Jesus, are released to be sons of God, to minister God into this world. Wow, wow. Thank you. Lord, this is an amazing, amazing privilege. And we have to confess it's bigger than we thought. I confess it's bigger than I thought because I thought it was all about me getting to heaven. It was all about me going to heaven when I died. And Lord, it's all about heaven coming to earth while I'm alive. It's an upside-down kingdom. Well, actually, it's the right way around.
And Father, I just say thank you for giving new birth to these precious people and the calling on their lives and the, the ministry on their lives and the destiny on their lives is the same as Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me too. Bring freedom and liberty and release to the captives of the earth. All right, it's time to stand in his presence. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say, I'm sorry. We give second chances to anyone. We also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. And we give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we love.